This morning we look at the judgment, in particular, on the men that we were looking at the last two weeks. There's a declaration of judgment on people who creep into the church unnoticed and who are encouraging us to sin rather than to obey God. He says, woe to them. We're going to read the whole book of Jude. And you'll see as we read it that Jude goes back and forth from describing who these men are to describing their woe to describing what we should do and then comparing them to other people who received God's judgment in the past so that we take the warning seriously. And then he goes back and he does it all again. So it's sort of a, it's sort of a circular book. He, he hits the same points a couple of times trying to reiterate them. So as I read it, you'll, don't get lost. The flow is really pretty simple. He's just hitting on a few different things and hitting on them a couple of different ways. Um, <clears throat> but remember, this morning our focus is going to be on that judgment, that woe to them that we see in verse 10 or 11. So let's read Jude chapter 1, which is the whole book. This is the Word of God. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels, who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, 
by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Clouds without water, carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, The Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So the beginning of verse 11 says, woe to them. Woe to them. Who? Well, woe to these men that have crept in unnoticed, that are promoting licentiousness, that are seeking to give the idea legitimacy that grace, as we saw last week, means being able to do whatever you want. This is not the meaning of grace. And I warned you last week against seeing grace the way that it is often explained today as essentially meaning it doesn't matter what you do. The whole letter of Jude is a violent attack against that idea. So, woe to them. Why the woe? 
Well, first, because of that bad teaching, right? And the bad action that goes along with it. But secondly, he goes through in the rest of the book and he begins to describe all of these details of what's going on with these people more in depth. He says that they're like the Sodomites. So verse 8, he gives a description of what that means. He says that they defile the flesh, that they reject authority, and that they revile angelic majesties. So defiling the flesh, largely meaning sexual immorality, certainly in the context of Sodom, that's what we're seeing. Rejecting authority. You remember what the Sodomites said to Lot? How did they reject authority? Who made you a judge over us? That's the gist of what they said. They said, you're, living, you're a guest among us and you dare to tell us what to do? Well, that's their rejection of ultimately of God's authority, because Lot was a preacher of righteousness as he told them, this is wrong, don't do it. That was him being a godly authority, and they completely rejected it. And then they reviled the angelic majesties. Remember that the guests that Lot had were the angels of the Lord. So this is just a a simple description The men of Sodom defiled the flesh, rejected authority, and reviled angelic majesties. And he says, this is what these people who creep in, into your midst, this is what they do. They do the same things. They're like the men of Sodom. And so thus the woe. Anyone who does these things receives the same condemnation by this book. Woe to them. Not to the men of Sodom. No, woe to those who are like them today. Right? Then moving on, again, we're going to see a a couple of other things. Again, why the woe? Why the the condemnation? Why Why this almost railing judgment against them? Which is one of the things that he condemns them for. Right? Verse 10. Because they revile the things which they do not understand. How many of you in conversations have had people mocking, reviling the truths of God's word that you're trying to explain to them? Laugh in your face. Call it the most idiotic thing they've ever heard. This is what's being described here. Okay, and you will see this in the church of Jesus Christ. You will proclaim a simple truth of God's word, and you will find that men hate that truth and they'll they'll laugh and mock. Okay? Now not everybody, right? But I want you to realize that. This happens. This is not something that's out there. He's talking about those who have crept into the church. And so, 
It's easier maybe for us to think about conversations with people who are outside the church, who have rejected God entirely, atheists and unbelievers and all of those people, right? And to say, oh yeah, I've had conversations like that, or I've seen that those kinds of interactions before, or yeah, I know how he would respond if I said that God commands all people everywhere to repent. Pfft, right. Whatever. And they revile. Yeah. Well, that's not shocking to us to hear that, that the ungodly revile. But, to, but where it gets shocking for us is that there are people who will actually come into the church and who are the ungodly and who revile the things that they don't understand. And remember, as we've been seeing, that behavior and belief are completely united in this group. And so it may be that you're, that you're speaking to them about some behavior that you see in their life and saying, this isn't good, why do you do this? And they'll mock you and say, what are you, some sort of puritanical, you know, and, and you get the reviling of things they don't understand. Or it may be a simple teaching, right? You could see it in the book of Jude. Remember I said that we could spend forever in the book of Jude. One of those things that <clears throat> you, could, you could get some mocking from would be uh, in, the beginning of the, in, in the beginning of the book where verse 4 says, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Well, what is that? Well, that's a, a teaching, a doctrine. It's, it's not about behavior. It's about belief, right? And so the, the belief being that God predestines a people for himself and he predestines others for destruction. And that's a like a yikes and a, and a point of mocking for people who are in the church, right? And so this, this shouldn't be after we've gotten done with the book of Jude, at least, it shouldn't be a surprise to us anymore. And we shouldn't be thrown off our guard or shocked or like, oh no, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed When we're talking with people who claim to to be our brothers and sisters in Christ and who when we begin to have simple conversations about theology and, and belief or about behavior, you know, saying, you know, you watch that show? what about the pornography in it? Or you watch that show? What, what about, the, what about the, the wicked cursing and taking of the Lord's name in vain? D- doesn't this affect you? No, no, it doesn't affect me. That's, that's reviling, you see? That's reviling. And it shouldn't be shocking to us. And what we have to do is we have to, of course, look at ourselves first and see, am I the reviler? We've already looked at that. I'm not going to belabor that point this morning. Things which they do not understand, they revile, mock, reject with anger or with derision. Verse 11, we see a new set of descriptors for them. 
okay, or a new set of comparison people. So before it was the angelic majesties who, uh, or sorry, before it was um, the angels that did not keep their proper abode, the men of Sodom, and the people of Israel who rejected God in the wilderness, right? That, that was the first comparison near the beginning. We already looked at that a little bit. Then, in verse 11, we see a new set of comparison people. They're doing the same thing. Those, these people who are receiving this judgment of woe are doing the same thing as Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Okay? So again, you, you've, you've got to know who these people are to make sense of the comparison. What do we know about Cain, Balaam, and Korah? Well, Cain worshipped the Lord selfishly, falsely, for his own gain. That's what's going on with Cain and Abel as they, give, as they bring their offerings, their sacrifices to the Lord. Cain's offering is not pleasing to the Lord. Well, that's his worship. His worship is not pleasing to the Lord. Do you see? Well, what does that tell you about his worship? It tells you that his worship was false. His worship was not about God. His worship was self-serving. Balaam. Balaam was the prophet of the Lord who took money from a wicked king seeking to harm God's people. Right? Remember the story of Balaam and the ass? The donkey ends up rebuking him? Why? Why does Balaam get rebuked? He's a prophet of the Lord. Well, because he's taking money to harm God's people. Or he's willing to harm, to seek to harm God's people for the sake of money. Maybe a better way of putting it, right? He's placing money over God's people and he's willing to use his position as a religious leader, prophet of the Lord, right, in order to fleece God's people. And Korah, Korah led the people in rebellion, in disaffection from God's chosen leaders, from the true leaders, claiming that their leadership was abusive. And if you go back and you look at the story and you read through it, what you find is that Korah and 250 men came to Moses and said, How dare you be leader? We're all the holy chosen people of God. And then they they worshipped the Lord with censers. This was part of their part of their worship, in other words, was actually rebellion against the leaders that God had chosen. And so Korah and the other two men who refused to do what Moses said and bring censers to, to worship the Lord were swallowed up by the ground. And those other men who came and offered the uh, the incense with these censers before the temple fire I mean before the tabernacle fire came out and consumed them so this is the judgment <clears throat> uh, that that we see that comes on 
these, these men who are rebellious. But what's the common connection between Cain, Balaam, and Korah? Well, a couple of things. First of all, all of these men were condemned for their wickedness, particularly as they claimed to be serving the Lord. Okay? All of this is worship that's going on. But what does that tell us? Well, it's it tells us that, this, again, this is not a new thing for it to be people who are inside the holy community to be the ones who are causing problems. These are not outsiders. Cain is the son of Adam and Eve. Balaam is prophet of the Lord. Korah is right. All of the people that, that Moses is leading, and Korah is one of them, are the chosen ones, the holy ones of Israel. All of them are from the inside, and all of them are particularly uh, evil in their worship. And the second thing that we see that's common between all three of these men is that they all attack God's holy ones. Cain murders his brother Abel. Balaam is attacking the people, trying to curse them, even though God won't let him. Right? Again, Korah is attacking Moses and Aaron, God's chosen leaders over his people. And again, God refuses to to let this get anywhere. But still, all of them you see are, are on the offensive against God's people. So this is the next group of comparisons we've got. Cain, Balaam, and Korah. So, what do these men look like on the outside? As you move forward, you see in verse 12, it says that they feast with us without fear. I'm going to read just a few descriptors here as, we, as, as I jump forward through the, through the book. Verse 12 again says they care for themselves. Verse 16 says that they are grumblers finding fault. Those two things go together, right? When you grumble, you find fault. <laughs> They're grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, and they flatter people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Verse 18 says they're mockers, again, following after their own ungodly lusts. Verse 19 says they cause divisions, that they're worldly-minded, that they're devoid of the Spirit. Okay, so all of these are, are the, what I would say, uh, outward markings the things that you're looking for in order to tell this is, these are the people that you're dealing with. They feast without fear together with us. 
Well, what does that mean, feasting without fear? Well, the love feasts that are spoken of in Jude are the fellowship. Uh, it's possible also that they were the, the Lord's Supper, okay? Um, but it seems clear that it also means more than that based on how the wording is, is used. So, it's probably uh, best to think of it with regard to our, uh, you know, if, if you go to a small group and you have a meal or you get together after church and, or there's a potluck or like we have uh, scheduled on the 13th, we're going to be going over to the park, right? These sorts of things. They're feasting, but without fear. Now, what does that... Why, why should there be fear at these church gatherings where we're eating together and celebrating? Why should there be fear? Isn't that sort of a strange thing? To think that the description of... Well, clearly these are the, the bad people are the ones who feast without any fear among us. It does strike us today as rather strange, doesn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine inviting people to come? Hey, we're going to have a get-together. Everyone there is going to be afraid. <laughs> so if you're willing to come and be afraid, this is the right place for you. <laughs> what? This isn't the, the typical thing. But if you go back to the book of Acts, remember, as the church is starting, the New Testament church, as the, the apostles, in particular, you read about uh, Peter and the preaching that's going on. Um, <clears throat> what is the description? It says that they were all afraid to associate with them. All the outsiders were afraid to associate with him. Why? Well, because the judgment of God had come out and consumed Ananias and Sapphira, for example. And so they saw the holiness of this people. They couldn't escape seeing the holiness. And it caused them to fear. Why? Who? Them? Are they afraid they're going to stone them? No, no, no. The fear is the fear of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, you can see when somebody has no fear of the Lord and they're feasting among us. It is not impossible. You just have to, you just have to be willing to not be blind, to notice that there's something wrong that they have no fear of the Lord. Everything is simply a joke to them. I shocked a group of people at one point during a, uh, a small group, I think it was. <clears throat> I suddenly got super, super intense, and in front of everyone, rebuked somebody for a joke that he had made. 
And everything had been lighthearted, and everyone was having a grand old time, and then all of a sudden the pastor is like, fire and brimstone and hell, and I mean, I was as intense as you've never seen me. Why? Well, because this young man was making light of and making a joke about one of the most wicked things that happens in our nation. You don't joke about abusing children, about molestation. You don't joke about abortion. To joke about these things is to prove that you have no fear of God. Well, I can't spend forever talking about all of these descriptors. They care for themselves. Brothers and sisters, do we care for ourselves? Yes, we we care for ourselves. How easy is it in a group of people to be sitting there thinking, how come everybody's having a good time but me? How many of you have ever done that? You know, everyone here has friends and I just feel so lonely. There, you know, there's a, there's a million ways of, being, of caring for yourself in a group of people. That's one of them. But you begin to notice it when people don't have any care for anybody besides themselves. They only talk, talk, talk all about themselves all day long, and it's like everybody wants to avoid them after a while, right? Well, this is caring for themselves. Now, as we go through these, what we're going to see is we're going to more and more be seeing, if I, I hope, how we ourselves are the ones who do these things. And is that is that a scary thought? Yeah, that's a that's a very that's a very fearful thing. And so I don't want to lose track of the big picture. Of course we care for ourselves. Of course all too often we are the ones without fear. That's why Jude writes this letter. Don't be shocked by this. He knows the danger of us falling into these things. And so that's why the letter, which you know, we'll, we'll spend more time on the last part later. But you, verse 17, but you, beloved. He's calling us to a different life. And he's reminding us of these things so that we will avoid them. Grumblers, finding fault following after their own lusts, speaking arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Mockers. Causing divisions. 
I want to return to one, though, back in verse 8. Rejecting authority. Rejecting authority. This is such a central aspect of all of the rest of these descriptors. All of this that I've been reading, being worldly-minded, being devoid of the Spirit, following after your own ungodly lusts, flattering, speaking arrogantly, grumbling, caring for yourself, feasting without fear, all of this flows out of these deeper core issues like having rejected authority. Remember all authority. Romans 8. All authority is given by God. Right? And so, we ought to be extremely, extremely careful to not allow people to be speaking evil of God's authorities, most especially those who are the religious authorities that God has placed in his church. This is why you have the, uh, the command in Scripture, do not accept an accusation against an elder except on the basis of more than one witness, right? There has to be. And so we can't this is such a difficult issue because you don't want to fall off either side of the road on this, all right? Part of what's going on in the book of Jude is that there are people who are seeking to go into leadership who are going to be wicked leaders fleecing the sheep, right? It's not so specific about leadership as it is in other places in the New Testament. The warning against wicked religious leaders who are out to... Uh, lord it over them, as Jesus describes it, right? The rulers of this world lord it over those who are underneath them. And so, there is no justification for rulers that lord it over those who are underneath them. But having said that, today in our culture, we have such a hatred of all authority that I think it's far more dangerous, far more likely to be a danger to us to be rejecting authority, as we're warned about in the book of Jude. Does that make sense? And so you've got, you've got examples galore of both sides of this today. And some of them, you don't know which it is. Some of them, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You shouldn't really be researching it too much. You know what I mean? It's It's not your leaders, it's not your church, what have you. Okay, then you can... But there still has to be some sort of... Uh, desire on our part to understand the difference between rulers that lord it over them and people who are simply attacking God's chosen leaders. Korah comes to Moses and Aaron and says, what? Enough of this! 
We're all God's people. He's leading a rebellion. And what he says sounds so very, very holy, doesn't it? And so I'm extremely hesitant to accept the accusations against a leader like C.J. Mahaney, for example. Okay? I don't know if you've ever heard of him. If you haven't, that's fine. Here's a pastor who the accusation against him is essentially he is... Uh, lording it over them. And then there's also another accusation about uh, him having not handled uh, abuse properly within the church, which ultimately connects directly into lording it over. Okay? Well, what's my point in bringing this up? Well, my point is... um, Every godly leader is going to have the accusation that they were lording it over them. Every last one of them. If the most humble man, Moses, by his own testimony and God's, okay, but if the most humble man has that accusation leveled against him by the people who he's leading tenderly and mercifully and patiently, then surely every last leader will have that accusation, right? And so we don't... I just want to warn you not to immediately jump to believing that sort of accusation because Satan is all about discrediting the leaders of God's people. And if he can't do it by causing them to fall into moral sin and failing themselves, okay, then the next best thing is to get false accusations against him and to discredit them that way. When the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, get away from these people so I can destroy them. Moses and Aaron fall on their face before the Lord and say, No! Don't do it! What a beautiful thing that is. The very people that are being, that that are agreeing, going along with this rebellion, okay? Moses and Aaron say, No, Heavenly Father, you won't destroy everybody for the guilt of one man, will you? And so it's only Korah and his his leaders in the rebellion that are destroyed in the end. But what difficulty it is for us to distinguish between those two things. What a difficult judgment that is to make. 
And so what does, what does this lead us to? Well, we don't make railing judgments. Right? We don't make railing accusations. We don't come out being like, how dare they say that he's an ungodly man? How dare they question his... And on the other hand, we don't come out saying, how dare he be such a pompous-ass pastor? You know, you don't fall to either side of that. We don't make rash, immediate judgments on these sorts of situations that keep popping up and will continue to pop up in the churches and that will pop up in our church, okay? These people become self-evident. And so you, you look to the fruit and you look to the long-term fruit and you warn against both sides right and you you do as the command in the scripture is to test the spirits to let judgment begin and let it begin in the household of faith this is good hard work and it requires us to submit ourselves to the holy spirit because it is by the spirit that these judgments are made be very wary of the the tongue that says well i love our pastor well i love our elders But, you know, one thing I really wish that they would change is, well, have you ever noticed how they, it seems to me like they, you should have red alert flags going up at that point, right? Why? Well, because this is the description, the rejection of authority of these people who creep in. And the whole point of the book of Jude is to warn us from being seduced by them and led astray by them. So we see why these men have this woe coming. We see what they look like on the outside. Right? We see what the fruit is in their life. Now what is the woe itself? As I said in verse 4, we see marked out long beforehand for this condemnation. Verse 10 says, The things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. What are the things that we know like unreasoning animals? We know to eat, right? And so... Can you be destroyed by your love of food, by gluttony? Yes, you you can be destroyed by it, right? Because like an unreasoning animal, you just go after it. Well, there's all sorts of things that we know this way. Sex is is something that that, that 
comes alive within us as we go through maturing and through puberty, right? And, And then it's like, it's instinctual. And then we can be destroyed by it like unreasoning animals if we give ourselves to unholiness. And so... That's, that is the description of the woe. That sort of being enslaved without any, having no ability to think about what you're doing, just being led forward by your desires, by your instinctual desires into these things, that, that itself is part of the woe. Because it destroys you. The sin itself that we give ourselves to ends up leading to death and it is, a, it is a sort of death in and of itself. Verses 12 and 13, we see that <clears throat> the description of what they're like turns into a description of their woe. Okay, So they're called clouds without water, carried along by winds. Well, that's, that is the woe. To be a cloud without water blown around by the wind, whichever way it happens to be blowing, whatever it is that happens to strike your fancy, right? Whatever teaching happens to come by. And so people who come in and are all about the church for a while, and then it's like, and then they're at the the Jehovah's Witness Church, and then they're Mormons, and then they're to Buddhism, and then they're off to the, and it's like, oh, I've tried all of them. You're talking to these, I talked to this man who calls himself a, you know, a, uh, a Methodist, Buddhist, I can't remember. There were four descriptions. I've, I've, I've lost two of them, right? You know, and it's like, okay, so you don't know anything about, about anything. You're driven by the wind. This is like a cloud without rain. You have nothing to offer. That's the woe. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. What a description. Autumn trees without fruit. You see them sometimes when they're going through. You've got to put in a, uh, a new drainage tile out to the sewer, right? They come in with a great big grinder. They dig that trench. Whatever's in the way, just goes. Someone in our neighborhood recently had all the shrubs in the front of their house and they're just up by the roots, lying on the grass. How sad it looks, right? It's just like, there's something unnatural about that. The, the roots are up on the, in the sun. You know they're dying. That's the end of it. How much, how much worse if it were autumn trees? You know, now is the time for apples. And to instead see the apple tree ripped out of the ground by the, by the, by the roots through whatever means, whether that's a storm or, or what have you, and you see the tree just lying on the ground, doubly dead. Not just ripped out, but no fruit. What a description of woe. And what's left for a tree of that sort? Nothing but burning. 
wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. They can't control themselves. They just are in a frenzy of, of the glut of sin. Have you ever watched the waves hitting against the rocks and the foam flying up and the, the spray? And the, the waves aren't in control. They will destroy you if you join them. But they're not in control. They are out of control. Casting up their own shame like foam. Nowhere is this more clear than on college campuses today, I don't think, except for maybe pride parades, gay pride parades. Okay, Casting up their own shame like foam, like the waves exploding the foam. And, it, and it, there's no end to foam. As the waves continue, the foam goes on forever. You can scrape it all off and more foam comes. And they're, they're casting it up without any kind of shame. Here is my shame. This is my wickedness. This is what I give myself to. And here it all is. And I keep going and going and going. And as you watch them go down the road, you see that their own death is what they are approaching. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. What a conclusion. The black darkness has been reserved forever. But that's not the end. In verse 14 and 15 it says, The Lord will come and execute judgment on them with his many thousands of holy ones. There's only two groups. There are the holy ones and there are the ones who will be convicted. Which group do we want to be in? Do we want to be among the shameful casting up like foam? No. And the Lord will judge us all. But it's the ungodly, 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 ungodly that we see in verse... Where is it? Twenty? No. The word ungodly... Oh, verse 15. Yeah, the the judgment comes... And those who are convicted are the ungodly and all their ungodly deeds and their ungodly way and the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken ultimately against him. All of these things are dangers to us. But the sin that we've been speaking of is not a sin against you and me. When, when, when David says, against you and you alone have I sinned, O Lord, it is absolutely true. So what does this mean for us? Woe to them! Woe to them! 
And we want it to be them, not us. First and foremost, that's what it means. Don't be part of them. Calvin has a one-sentence little throwaway thing on, on verse 12 that was so, so helpful. He says, so many godly men, I'm, I'm summarizing now, I don't have the quote in, in, in front of me, but he says, I, I wish more people would see this. You know, so many godly men today do great damage to the church by seeking to be extremely kind to ungodly men. By seeking to be extremely kind to the ungodly. Well, the whole book of Jude is a warning against being extremely kind to them and instead stay, stay far away from them. Flee from this. Don't have anything to do with it. And that starts with being people who fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The second thing is, I hope that this has become clear, but really, the lie that will draw you into this sort of sin, the lie that will draw you into this sort of sin and that you must guard against is thinking that their sin pays. Do you see that? That it's going to pay off for them in a positive way. That somehow they, they're actually the ones who get to have fun. They're actually the ones who get to do the things that you wish you could do. And there's no consequences. You think of the Psalms where David is tempted to think that way. And what a wonderful testimony they are to us that know. And how do we avoid that? coming into the presence of the Lord, right? With his people to worship him. Their sin does pay, but it pays death. It pays being doubly uprooted, twice dead. The third thing is you've got to remember that they don't care about you. They care about themselves. Right? Don't buy the flattery. They consume you as they bring you into their sin. When you enter into the waves, you get consumed. You don't, you don't get served and benefited by the waves. 